You're listening to the Eastside Church Sermon Podcast Series. We are a United Methodist congregation in East Atlanta Village. We seek to be creative, historic, inclusive, and justice-oriented. We are thrilled that you found our podcast, and if you'd like to learn more about our community, visit our website at eastsideatl.org. If you're new with us this morning, whether digitally or in person, um, we're, we're about a month into this, this message series that's going to take, take us to Advent, and it's essentially an opportunity for us to, to look back to see kind of where we came from and, and how this church came to be on the, 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 ten, the 10 year, the decade anniversary of Eastside. Uh, it's an extended way for us to, to look back over our story and to hopefully learn from it in fresh ways, but, but also to ask who we, who we see ourselves becoming as the, as the future approaches, as, as tomorrow is always waiting and always leading us to hope and to be creative and to ask new and fresh questions as our world continues to ever change. So we hope that that you are learning and growing in this season of the East Side Story as, as I have. And this morning, we're going to continue on this particular stretch of the East Side Story as we've already looked at the, the, from, from the words on our sign, the words creative and historic. And that brings us to this morning in the word inclusive. And in order to, to sort of begin to, to open up the conversation around East Side and inclusive, we're going to look at a text of scripture that comes from one of the longer books in the New Testament, the book of Acts. And if you've never read the book of Acts or you're not terribly familiar with it, it's essentially part two to Luke's gospel account. There's four gospels. Luke wrote one of them, and he then wrote the book of Acts. And Acts is a recounting and a retelling of the, the early church. What, what happened after Jesus' resurrection and Jesus' ascension among his followers? That's really what the book of Acts is about. And we're going to be jumping forward to chapter 15, kind of midstream into sort of one of the most important turning points of the early church, frankly. This is one of those moments that is kind of a crux of the whole thing. We, we might not be here having this conversation today if it weren't for Acts 15 and the way that that story began, the story wound up playing out because of the humans involved in it and God's work among them. It is a gathering of church leadership and I invite those of you in the room who are able to embody, stand with me for the reading of scripture. In spirit, if, if standing is not something that is comfortable for you or physically possible. And for those who are digitally present with us, I, I invite you to embrace a posture that allows you to receive in a, in a way that is sacred for you, the words of ancient holy scripture. Luke Right. <laughs> then certain individuals came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers that unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. 
After Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to discuss this question with the apostles and the elders. So they were sent on their way by the church, and as they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, they reported the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the believers. When Paul and Barnabas arrived in Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported everything that God had done with them. But some of the believers who also belonged to the sect of the Pharisees, they stood up and said, but it's necessary for them to be circumcised and in order to keep the law of Moses. Then the apostles and elders met together to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, my brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that I should be the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the message of the good news and become believers. And God, who knows the human heart, testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And in cleansing their hearts by faith, he has made no distinction between them and us. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing on the neck of the disciples a yoke that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they were. The whole assembly kept silent. They listened to Barnabas and Paul as they told of all the signs and the wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. And then after Paul and Barnabas had finished speaking, James replied, my brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first looked favorably on the Gentiles. Take from among them a people for God's name. This agrees with the words of the prophet as it is written, after this I will return and I will rebuild the dwelling of David, which has fallen from its ruins. I will rebuild it and I will set it up so that all other peoples may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles over whom my name has been called. Thus says the Lord who has been making these things known from long ago. And then James went on, therefore I have reached the decision that we should not trouble those Gentiles who are turning to God, but we should write to them to abstain only from things polluted by idols and from fornication and from whatever has been strangled and from blood. For in every city for generations past, Moses has had those who proclaim him, for he has been read aloud every Sabbath in the synagogues. And then the apostles and the elders, with the consent of the whole church, decided to choose men from among their members and to send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. Friends, the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, God whose spirit is indeed moving even now among us in this space, in the hearts and in the the spaces of all those who are present with us digitally, God. 
I ask that as you move, you would take these words that I have prepared and make them be your word for your people in and through this time. God, may you speak through them and were necessary in spite of me. And God, as I preach, I ask that the words of my mouth and the collective meditations of all of our hearts would indeed be found good, right, pleasing, and acceptable in your sight. God, our rock, God, our redeemer, God, our savior. It's all in the name of the Christ that we pray. And everyone said, amen. Friends, you may be seated. As I was thinking about this word inclusive in preparation for this week, it occurred to me how nice it would be, right, to not need to put that word on a church sign. What kind of a world would it be if, if people just saw church and just, like, the subtext was just there, of, of course inclusive. You don't have to put it on a sign. Alas, though, that is not the world in which we find ourselves, amen? No, it's a world where it seems as though that word or words like it with, with meanings in that direction need to, to be put out there to, re, to recast the story of the church in the 21st century and who we are and what we're about and what we're trying to accomplish and who is welcome to participate in that work. And I read from Acts chapter 15 because it is perhaps the most important and profound example that we have in the early church of, of how the church begins to wrestle with this conversation around inclusivity and what it means. Acts 15, really beginning back in chapter 9 of Acts, there's this, this chapter within the book that's really addressing questions around what, what does it mean for the church to be an inclusive community? And is the church going to be an inclusive community? Because as you all know, because I'm sure you're all Jewish scholars, the early Jesus movement is entirely a Jewish movement. If we go back to the beginning of the book of Acts and we recount the Pentecost story, what is Pentecost but a Jewish festival? And it's in Jerusalem, and all these Jewish people have gathered for this festival to take place, and it's on that day in this completely Jewish context with the Jewish disciples of the Jewish Messiah Jesus that they get up and they, they preach the gospel message and we are told by Luke that 3,000 people are baptized that day. 3,000 Jewish people there for a Jewish festival baptized into the movement of a Jewish Messiah. That's how Acts starts. But very, very quickly, things begin to get interesting. The apostles, what do they do? They, they do as Jesus told them to do, and they go out, and they re recount the story of the resurrected Christ. And as they do, they sort of keep going beyond the boundary lands where the populations would have been primarily Jewish, and they, they begin to make their way into these Gentile contexts, these non-Jewish contexts. And... Basically, what Luke 
says without outright saying it is that that big Pentecost you saw at the beginning of the book, it starts to happen in like little microcosms multiple times as these apostles scatter out and keep telling the Jesus story. We're told that the same Holy Spirit that they experienced back there is now showing up in like Antioch in these places that nobody really expects. And that it's simply this, this movement of, of God. These apostles are being faithful, telling the story of the Christ in the same spirit that showed up at this very Jewish festival of Pentecost is now showing up out in these entirely Gentile contexts and communities. And these Gentile people are, are like resonating with the Jesus story, with the story of this very Jewish Messiah, which is weird, right? But it's happening. And we're even told that as Paul and Barnabas are going up to Jerusalem to to begin to tell some of these stories. They even, again, stop along the way and, and tell some more Gentile people about the Christ and have more stories to tell when they get to Jerusalem. So it's all of this witness upon witness and testimony upon testimony. There's, there's almost this court hearing-ish like thing Luke is doing to build up in the minds of the readers, right? He's accumulating testimony by telling the stories the way that he is. He's saying this is not a one-off event that just happened in one Gentile community. This happened in multiple places with different apostles spread in different directions. And it's surprising and it's weird. And apparently the Holy Spirit of the Jewish God, Yahweh, is, is not just hovering over the, the ordered world of Judaism, but is now going out into the the. the, the the boundary lands of chaos of the Gentiles and hovering again in new lands over new chaotic waters that have yet to be calmed, that have yet to, to be ordered. It's like there's a new Genesis thing happening in Exodus. Some have actually said that Acts is kind of like the Genesis of the New Testament with all the crazy stories and the wild things that we have to wrestle with, but, but even more so with the movement of the Ruach, the spirit of God in the world in new ways. That's really what we're seeing. We're seeing humanity and divinity meeting as they're going out into these Gentile boundary lands and wild things are happening. And then, then there's the process of taking it back to civilization, which in Jewish world would be Jerusalem, which is why the author says they go up to Jerusalem. It's very much so like you go up to Oxford, right? You don't go down to Jerusalem. So they're going up to the pinnacle of Jewish society to have this conversation with the Jewish leaders of the early church. And Luke is pretty, pretty honest about it. It sounds like it was a little bit of a mess. We're told that there's debate and argument and then some testimony and some more debate and some argument and some pushback. And then we're told what, but the Apparently, some, some of the Pharisees had become followers of Jesus, which is hard to believe if you go back and read the words of Jesus aimed at the Pharisees, but apparently some of them accepted the Christ and were a part of the movement, but, but it sounds like the Pharisees, even the Jesus-following ones, were, they, they were kind of the, you know, the rigid 
in their minds, like the doctrinally orthodox, they were the purveyors of truth. They were the ones to pound their fist on the table and say, you know, they're welcome, but if they're welcome and if they're going to be a part, then they're going to be a part on our terms, right? And our terms are whose terms? What did the text say? Which patriarch? Anybody remember? Moses' terms. So they're pulling off the, the big ones, right? Moses. You don't argue with Moses, right? Which is kind of what they're, it, it's an argument of authority taking place in sort of this like courtroom assembly thing. I have Moses on my side. The Gentiles, they can't just be a part. They also have to do some stuff, including that very uncomfortable uh, surgical process for the dudes. So, what do they do? How does this play out? Part of the reason that I thought that the first reading that we experienced that Troy read, and by the way, just an aside, thank you to the Bluegrass Worship Band this morning for leading us. Gave, Troy and Karina are out of town this morning, and it gave them a chance to, to be away and to lead us in a, in a beautiful movement of worship, and we, we greatly appreciate y'all, and, and yeah, that was awesome, so thank you. But part of the reason that I had Troy read what I had him read was because the text itself speaks, to, speaks in the Old Testament context of, of eunuchs, and the reason it speaks of eunuchs in particular, there's probably a few, but, but the reason I want to name is that eunuchs very likely could have been foreigners from another, another culture, context, nation who, who lived among and served among the Jewish people, specifically more of their, their royalty probably. But eunuchs in that text were being spoken of as, as some of them have become what they call God-fearers. And essentially that would be a, a person who's born not Jewish, a Gentile, but then who, who learns the ropes of Judaism from top to bottom and fully lives into the ritualistic and religious life of the Jewish people. These existed in the Old Testament, these people did, whether it was eunuchs or somebody else, and they existed in the New Testament in Jesus' time. People who essentially submitted to and, and adopted the way of Jewish life and the way of worshiping the Jewish God, Yahweh. That's an important thing to, to know when you hear what the Pharisees are saying, because what the Pharisees are saying is not an unseen or completely new idea. They're saying the Gentiles, of course, can join the Jesus movement, but they need to be like the God-fears from the Old Testament and do all the Jewish things, right? That's the conversations being had in Acts 15. Do Jewish converts have to do all of the things to be a part of the Jesus movement. And what do they do? Paul and Barnabas come from the, the outlands and they come in to bring testimony and to tell stories. We're told that James speaks up. We're told that Peter speaks up. There's all these different voices that are talking about what they've seen and what they've heard and what they've experienced. And then there's debate, and then there's theological debate. There's historic debate. They bring up Moses, and they bring up current practice with the God-fearers. 
What are they doing? They're having a theological discourse and discussion and debate around how this ancient but burgeoning Christian community is going to practice their faith, what they're going to do. How will inclusion look for them is the big question that they're asking. And here's what's remarkable. I don't know why I didn't grow up hearing more about this. I grew up in the church, but this was just not something that was highlighted a lot. It's the fact that this council, the first ancient Christian council on record, they essentially commit first century like Jewish heresy. They, they do. What do they say? They essentially say like, we've been trying the Moses circumcision thing for a while. A while, and can we try something else? That's, I mean, that's seriously, like, that's what they, that's the argument. Like, we've been, we've done it that way for whatever, a thousand years. And do we really need to put that yoke on the necks of these Gentiles who want to participate in the movement of God in the world? Is that really important at this point in the story? I think that's kind of the critical move, is like, Maybe that was a piece for the ancient part of the story. Maybe they needed circumcision in the, the, the Genesis, Exodus part of their formation. But, but is that what's needed here and now? Maybe not. And the church, the leadership, they say, you know what? Let them in. Let the Gentiles join. Just tell them don't, don't eat food that we know was part of a ritual sacrifice to idols. Let's not do that. And no blood drinking. That's just weird. So like no blood drinking if you're going to be a part of the Christian movement. But you don't have to be circumcised. And a collective sigh of relief came from all of the ancient Gentiles who wanted to join the movement. But we don't, we don't talk about the fact that this is an undoing of orthodoxy. And not just in a belief sense, not just a change of like belief. This is a practice change. Like they are changing tradition by doing this, by saying the Gentiles don't have to become full-on God-fearers to be okay before God and to participate fully in the movement. Just don't eat food sacrificed to idols. Oh, yeah, and don't, don't commit fornication and don't drink blood. Which means that we see here a way of reading scripture and doing church within scripture. But we don't talk about that nearly enough as the modern church. What, what are we learning here about how to do and how to be the church? We're learning that the people's experience of God out in the Gentile world was a form of revelation that was teaching them something about how God was speaking in that world then in in that context, and they were bringing it back and saying, this matters. This informs what we do and how we move forward. And it should matter that Peter's got a story and Paul's got a story and Barnabas has a story. 
It's not just one rogue person saying this. This is coming from the collective of leadership and of people that we trust and believe and who, who by all signs, are giving their best to this movement. What does inclusion look like? They say it looks like a movement within the human heart, not something that has to be in the human flesh. It's something in our spirit, in our being, not in our body. And it's not to, I'm not in any way speaking down the human body. I think the human body is beautiful and to be celebrated. But the point here is that the body is not the, the, that which takes precedent over the spirit and over the heart and over the, 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 the human in community with God. And, and I think this is where the early church ends up going to say like Judaism has focused a lot on the body, on circumcision and on ritual hand washings and a lot of very bodily focused things which aren't bad per se, but at the, maybe at some of the expense of, of seeing the spirit of God at work in the human spirit, in the spirits of humans who are not of our bloodline. Maybe there's something bigger happening here than just being born into the, this tribe or that tribe. Maybe there's something that God is doing that's communicative and collective and is moving in and with and through all of humanity. And last week we talked about this idea that the seeds were planted that ultimately God's plan was to use the, the Jewish people to, to reach the Gentile world. And in Christ and in the early church, we begin to see that come into reality. And it teaches us about how we can have conversations and make decisions as the church as well. So when we come to this conversation around inclusion today, right, how do we do it? Because... You can, you can point to passages in the Bible that seem to condone slavery. They're there. You can point to passages in Scripture that seem to make it very clear that patriarchy is to be and that men are to be the preachers or whatever. But you can also find texts like Acts 15 that do what? But they use the profound human experience in real time of, of people and individuals, and they see that as a legitimate way of discerning God's will, and they bring that to the table of church discernment and discussion and deciding in concert with scripture, with tradition, with history, and they have a debate and a discussion about it. And back in 2011, you know, some of you know my history a little bit. I come from very conservative, very fundamentalist background, not unlike probably, you know, Dusty's background a little bit from the video, which means that, that for me, kind of my spirituality and my Christian journey has been a long journey of, of emergence and of study and of learning and of coming into new ways of thinking. And when we started Eastside back in 2011, our whole kind of collective of, of, there's about 12 of us actually, we were all sort of like this post, 
evangelical deconstructing group of people. And we knew we wanted to be a church where everybody was welcome and where inclusion was an assumption. But we were all still at the same time kind of working through, like we knew pragmatically that's where we were, but we were all, all kind of like theologically not sure how, we, how to get there and how, how scripturally we could get to that place, but we knew it's where we wanted to go. Even before our, like maybe our brains or our systematic theology had caught up with us. And over time, you know, the, the very first group of people after that original group of like 12 were just overwhelmingly experientially affirming that inclusion was indeed the direction that God was calling us to. Whether it was same-sex partnerships or, or folks who just had really profound experiences with the LGBTQ plus community, the, the, the sort of whole trajectory. And that continued to happen in the early days of the church. It was like God just kept sending people and sending couples and sending in, it, it was this movement that was happening that for those of us who were kind of going on, on faith and a hunch and a feel, feeling that this is the direction God was leading, it was that like confirmation, those stories, those testimonies, those witnesses, those worshiping alongside of people who loved God and also had experienced the, 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 the experience of coming out in a conservative con- environment that, that condemned and judged them and they had to kind of find their way and now they were at Eastside, reclaiming and recovering their faith in God and worshiping with their partner. And, and I'd be there worshiping right next to these people and going like, it seems to me that the Holy Spirit is naming this as good. I'm not God and the person over there is not God. That's not the point. But collectively, it seems to us collectively that the spirit of the living God is naming this as good. And that, that for me began to be probably like way more profound than any, any of the arguments or ways of thinking about it theologically. It was just this overwhelming sense that God was saying, this is good and keep moving in the direction of inclusion. So we did. And, and eventually... We, we came to 2019 and the, 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 the moment of painting those doors out there, painting them in the, the, the colors of the rainbow. And, and some of you might think that the old paint was just chipping or whatever, so we needed to paint them something, so we painted them rainbow. That's not really what happened. We, in fact, the, the doors actually got a fresh coat of paint in 2014 at the time of the merger because the, the red paint was chipping and coming off, so we gave them a fresh coat of red paint. So under the rainbow is red, but that out, outdoor symbolic move was actually meant to be a sign of something that had already taken place internally. A couple weeks prior, or maybe a week prior, we had voted as a congregation to become what's known as a reconciling 
church, a reconciling congregation, or a, a part of the reconciling net ministries network. And, and if you're not familiar with RMN, as we abbreviate it lovingly, Lee, um, RMN is a, is a collective of United Methodist churches across the world who are essentially publicly choosing to stand together and make it known that we are on the one hand in public disagreement with our, our book of rules, our book of discipline, our constitution within the Methodist church, and that at the same time we are, we are affirming of same-sex couples, the ability to do same-sex weddings in our churches by our clergy, and we are affirming of the full ordination for deacons or elders of, of, of the LGBTQ plus community. And we have to do both of those things in tandem because the, the latter is not currently allowable within the Methodist tribe. The book of, of rules, our book of discipline, does not allow us to, to ordain openly. Um, the word they use in the book of discipline is practicing, whatever that means, but like openly gay people um, are not allowed to, to walk through the ordination process. And I am, I am not allowed to perform weddings in this sanctuary or allow another pastor to perform a wedding in this sanctuary without being brought up on charges and probably in North Georgia, possibly being defrocked and losing credentialing. This is, this is the rules as they stand. And becoming reconciling is a way for us to say as a church that we, we stand against that. We don't agree with it, and we think it needs to change. And we think it needs to be moved to treating all of us, regardless of our human sexuality, all as children of God, all called to, to unique ways of ministering, some ordained, some lay, all called to various ways of, of, of being in relationship with, with the rest of humanity, whether that means a, a lifelong marriage partnership or whether that means being single or whatever. It is us essentially saying, let's stop distinguishing a group because of essentially bodies and the way that people relate to, to the body that they woke up to and say, no, let's just, just treat all people as children of God, as, as the spirit that God has breathed into all of us, and let's truly be inclusive and, 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 and allow this sort of, this distinguishing to fall by the wayside, which is what the ancient church is, is agreeing to do with, with Gentiles. They're saying, Let, let's let this division, let's let the whole language of Gentile and Jew, let's just get rid of it. Let's just all be human together and let's all be followers of the Christ together and let's just treat everybody under the same Christ and under the same, essentially the same practices and way of being together. And today, you know, inclusive, it's not my favorite word at this point, it, it's changed over the years. I, I, I like the word in, integrated because I feel like inclusive sort of has a, you can, you can, come, and, you can come and be a, you can come, but, but I feel like integrate says you can come and be a full participant and become leadership within this community, which is 
the dream that we have at Eastside. And I didn't get to, to equity, but, but another sermon I will. But, but ultimately, we're, we're, we're trying to continue in that path today. And it's been weird to be inclusive during the pandemic, that's for sure. And inclusive is one of these concepts that we want to be a huge umbrella term, but also to have very, very poignant specificity to name in, in whatever year we find ourselves, how that has a po- fine point on it. So friends, may we continue in the tradition of 10 years of being an inclusive church, and may we continue to fight to make all of God's children and all followers of the Christ fully equal and welcome and included in this body. In the name of the creator, the redeemer, and the sustainer, amen. Good morning, church. My name is Troy Aragon Buchanan. Um, I serve here as the worship and arts minister. Uh, I have the honor of leading our prayers this morning. Um, Karina and I are here with some uh, dear friends in Portland, Oregon, uh, taking a a week of rest. uh, And I just wanted to um, share the space that we're in with you. Um, In this season, I find myself uh, constantly overwhelmed and uh, I bet that you would too. And so this morning um, for our prayers, I'm just gonna invite you uh, into reflection, into a moment of, of pause. Friends, would you join me in prayer? When nothing is right, when we are weary and lost, when clouds dull the sky, help us to be still. Selah. When our cries are unheeded, when no effort bears fruit, when the sun sets, Help us to be still. Selah. When love is over, when hope is gone, when darkness covers the land, help us to be still. Selah. in being still in refusing to panic or despair we shall come to know that God is there suffering alongside and with us wanting to show us stepping stones through the swirling waters and to help us sing a new song Selah Friends I now invite you into a silent moment of confession where we um, confess to ourselves, to God and to others, um, the things that we ought have done this week and the things that we ought not. Receive these words. To the one who receives and hears our filed complaints, Forgive us when we seek to live apart from your help. Forgive us the words that erupt from our mouths. 
Forgive us the hurtful thoughts we think when we feel you are hidden from us. Forgive our efforts to escape from your embrace. Lord, free us to live an abundant life. Amen. Friends, hear the good news. When we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, and that proves God's love for us. In the name of Christ, you are forgiven. Now I invite everyone to stand for the benediction. Siblings, may you go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, our maker, and the life-giving fellowship and presence of God's spirit now, this week, and into forever. Amen? Amen. Go in peace. We hope that you've enjoyed this week's message, and we look forward to connecting with you soon. If you'd like to experience our full church services, you can find them at youtube.com slash eastsidechurchatl. And if you'd like to support the work we're doing here at Eastside, you can find our giving portal at our website, eastsideatl.org. Be well.